It is good to see all of you here today with us.
give all of our praise. You guys should be a little excited this morning, I hope. Would you please turn to your neighbor and just greet them before we continue this morning and just welcome each other here today, if you would. I'm out of order. I was thinking we had another song. Forgive me. Today we'd like to uh, just to go over a few announcements. The first one is uh, of our classes. If you look inside of your courier there, you'll see a description of our classes. We're calling them Come, come and get, get Equipped. We want to challenge you to come and uh, take one of these classes and help you in different areas of your spiritual life. And um, the first one is Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. So we're going to show a short clip on the screen so you can get a little idea of what Financial Peace University is. Financial peace. We all want it. For a while, I didn't have it. 20 years ago, I hit rock bottom. I lost just about everything. I turned to God for help and I learned how to handle money 
his way. As you can imagine, it worked. That's why I started Financial Peace University, because God's ways work. Whether you're in over your head or you're doing okay right now, if you bring home $10,000 or $10 million, if you're 21 or 61, we all need a plan. Millions of people have been through Financial Peace University. They have success stories of their own. They've learned how to get rid of debt, prepare for generations to come, and give like crazy. Your success story, your financial peace is up to you. Now is your time. It's time to take control of your money. It's time to get ready for what God has for you. It's time for financial peace. Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Audie Eddy. Um, I'm going to be actually uh, facilitating uh, the course of Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University, or FPU. Um, some of you might know me as um, Winston T. from the uh, dinner theater. I'm a less money-hungry Winston T. Or um, I'm a Dave Ramsey look-alike, too. So um, I hope that, uh, that has, uh, the video has, pe has piqued your interest you know, in the class and, and what it's about. Um, if you've never heard of Dave Ramsey, um, just like it says, um, it, uh, it provides uh, financial peace. I mean, I'm sure that all of us at one point in our lives or another, we've all you know, had some financial problems, and we know how burden burdensome and worrying that can be. Um, I don't know what I was going to say next, but uh, I, I kind of like in the uh, financial piece and what Dave Ramsey and his principles um, have to uh, say to, you know, what the Bible teaches us, um, you know, how we should live and how we should be, um, you know, godly people. Instead of being in the world and what the world has to offer, you know, the Bible teaches us how to live and, and how to uh, um, live more like Jesus. And the financial piece and what Dave Ramsey has to offer kind of... Uh, teaches us how to live financially, gives us a financial plan instead of doing what the world is doing and, and what our government is doing is, you know, racking up debt in, you know, in, in whether it's houses and student loans and cars and, and, and you know, having the newest and shiniest things. So um, this really gives you a plan, you know, for financial um, fitness. It, uh, you know, one thing I can say definitely is that if you take this class or you, you anything relating to Dave Ramsey, it, it will change your life. Um, you know, there's no doubt about it. Just like the Bible, you know, has changed my life, um, this will also change your life financially. So if you are um, thinking about it or you're on the fence about it, again, it, you know, it can be, you can be young or old, have a lot of money or a little bit of money, um, you know, pray about it. Uh, this is, you know, a, a great opportunity here in the church to do this. Um, we will be offering it, you know, again, this uh, starting February 17th. There's a place you can sign up on our website, Crossroads, Crossroads website, um, where you actually sign up. I know the $89 sounds like a lot, um, but uh, actually there's a, you know, his, from his statistics, there's an actual, within 90 days, about an $8,000 turnaround, um, you know, for, for people that have taken this class. Um, I think that's about it. And again, yeah, February 17th is when the actual class will start. So you can contact me or Ken if you have any questions. Thanks. Contact him because I don't know the answers. He has the answers. We, uh, we're so thankful Audie's going to be doing that class, facilitating that class. If you go to our church website, crossroadsministries.com, uh, you can just click on the Dave Ramsey logo and there will be an opportunity. You'll hit link and you can just go right to that link and you can register right there. You can pay there, and they will ship the materials to your house. Or you can fill out the uh, form at the bottom of the, uh, the equipped classes there. Just put your name in Financial Peace University. Put it in the offering plate or in the offering box as you leave today, and we will sign you up and register you for the course. So uh, we're, we're glad that uh, we have the opportunity to do these in our church. But one of the great things I was reading about the Financial Peace University is it's based on over 800 verses of Scripture that talk about money. Now, you didn't realize that the Bible talks that much about money. So money's pretty important uh, in the Bible. And, uh, you know, I often say that we only tell people in church how to handle 10% of their money. That's the tithe. We want to see what does God say with all of our money, the, the other 90%. So this course will be a great help to many people. We encourage you to sign up if, 
if you would be interested in taking that. Also, we have several other courses. The Eternity 101 is a course on heaven. That will be facilitated by Chuck Green. That will be offered during the first hour um, at 9.30 on Sundays. And that is a course on heaven. What will heaven be like? Will we be standing, floating on a cloud all eternity with a harp? What are we going to do? Well, the answer is no. You won't be on a cloud with a harp. And, uh, and you know, it, it's going to be exciting to learn a little bit about heaven and what is actually uh, in heaven, what heaven will be like. Also, we have a class on fearless. Uh, we live in a world where there's a lot of fear. Max Lucado's material on fearless. Um, you know, some of us are afraid. We're, we're fearful of our job, fearful of the economy, fearful of uh, multiple things in our world. And this book here will help you to be able to deal with fear and how to live and truly break free of fear. Also, we have a, a, two courses offered on Tuesday evenings that will begin on February the 12th. They, and they're on the back side of that paper in your career. And uh, those are Divorce Care and Grief Share. Divorce care, obviously, it speaks for itself, and you can read about that. If you know somebody that's gone through a divorce and, and needs some support, needs some care, this is a great class for them. Also, the support group for the grief share. Many people in the past several years in our church have experienced some grief, a lot of loss. We've, we've just seen a lot of people go on to heaven. We've been populating heaven. And uh, we're on this side. How do we deal with that? So those classes will help us in these things, and they will equip us to take God's Word and apply them to all these everyday areas of your life. So we want to encourage you in that area. Also, if you would please pass the friendship folders, that would be a great help to us. And uh, we appreciate you kindly passing those folders this morning. This morning, let's all stand as the ushers come our way. We have... Uh, as we receive our morning offering. Just uh, another announcement is that we are having a group going to Ecuador this summer, our youth missions trip. And Dane Demchak has asked me to announce that. We'll be having a meeting after the service. If you are interested in going, it's a youth missions trip. So that means youth missions trip. Not me, youth. Okay? <laughs> youth missions trip. So if you'd like to, if you know any youth that would like to go on that, or you're a parent of a teenager, you'd like to be a part of that, please come down and hear what is going on for the uh, Ecuador missions trip this summer for our youth group, right? Let's pray this morning. Our Father and our God, we come before you, and I thank you so much for all that you've done in our church, Lord. We have a, a great church, and we're so thankful to, to be here weekly, to respond to you, to, to worship you, and just to be joyful, Lord. Thank you for your presence here in this place. It's uh, been exciting to spend time gathering and worshiping. Lord, we pray for all these things that are happening in our church, for these classes, for the missions trips, for the different events that are coming up. God, we, just, uh, we lift them up before you and we ask you to do something really exciting in our, in our church, Lord. God, we now ask you to bless this offering, our tithes and our offerings as we give them to you. It's out of the abundance of our heart, the overflowing of joy that you've given to us that we give to you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, please.
Amen. What an exciting day here this morning. We are glad that you're here with us to worship. This morning, Pastor Arnold is away, and you can read about his travels in the courier. He went to a church planning conference, and then the last line I read, he's riding a Porsche. So I'm not sure how that happens. While we're shoveling snow, he's riding a Porsche in Texas, right? But uh, this morning, he's asked uh, Josh Watts, Pastor Josh Watts. He's a the student pastor up at First Baptist Church of Newcastle. He was our youth pastor for 10 years, and now he's a student pastor in First Baptist Church in Newcastle. Let's welcome back our good friend, Josh Watts. Good morning. How you doing? That's a gang in the back there. Zach Phillips. Hi, Zach. Um, it was good to be here. It's good to be back. Shan and I don't, obviously don't get the chance to be back as much as we would like. We get to see family usually. Quick visits on Saturdays, and so it's good to be here. I'm uh, appreciative of the church I'm at. Let me have a Sunday off to be down here. and um, Things are going really well for us, and so it's great to be here. Um, yeah, I want to play a game. Can we play a game? First service, we played a game, and the middle section was terrible. And so um, I, we got a Palomalu jersey, though, right in the middle there. And so I, I'm feeling, feeling good about, about the middle section. Um, and so um, we're going to talk about a well-balanced life. And so I, 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 I looked this up because I have no idea anything about gymnastics. Um, I looked up some moves and maneuvers on balance beams that get judged in competitions. We're going to see if you can tell which, which of these names that I read are a balance beam maneuver or I just maybe made it up or something like that. And so we're going to start over here because I started over there at the first service. Um, a, and anyone can shout out. It really doesn't matter. Um, a pivot turn. Um, this section right here going all the way to the back. Is that a balance beam maneuver or not? It's a simple yes or no. Wow, see, an emphatic no. It's awesome, and you're, you're emphatically wrong. Um, <laughs> it is a maneuver. Okay, middle section. How about a forward roll? Yes, yes no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> middle section is yet to get one right. You're 0 for 4. All right, um, left side, and, and Ken was here, so I got to mix these up a little. He was here for service. How about a scissors leap? Yes. Yes? You guys aren't very sure of yourselves, but you're right. That is, a, that is one, yes. Give yourselves a hand. Way to go. You're up one nothing. There's a huge prize at the end. Um, not really. Uh, you guys over here, how about a, um, let's see here, how about a Miller? Balcony, you can play with this side here, too, if you want. Yes or no? Yes? Yes, you're right. It's named after Shannon Miller, a U.S. gymnast. It consists of, and you probably know this already, a back dive with a quarter twist to a handstand followed by a half pirouette. And if you were lucky enough to be here in the first service, Pastor Ken came up and performed that. <laughs> and we were deeply moved. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. Second, um, second question for the middle row. How about a <laughs> a back giant? <laughs> I didn't make any of this up. I found these are all gymnast terms. There's some aren't for balance beams. No, you were, were you here first, sir? Okay, uh, you're right. You're right. It's not. Get middle. Come on, first one. All right, left side. I don't, I don't know what the score is. You guys have one, right? You guys, what do you guys have? One, 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 one. Okay, and you guys, this is your second question, so you can take the lead right here. How about a needle scale? Uh, say no, anyone? No, wow, yeah. Um, it is, it is, it is a um, balance beam maneuver. We're going to do one more round here. It's one, one, one. Everyone's in it, okay? Super Bowl's next week. You're all in. You're all still in the game here. All right, so here we go. How about a cross handstand? Definitely. Absolutely. Jeez, of course. Yes, you're right. Two points. Way to go. 
Um, how about you guys here in the middle? How about a straddle cut? Yes, of course it is. No, it's not. Um, so you guys are in at least second place. Way to go. And over here, let's see here. How about a McCool? How about in the back there? Mark, you guys right there. You got, ch chime in on this. No? No. No, no, it is actually. It's named after a, another gymnast, Courtney McCule, an American gymnast. So congratulations over here. Give yourselves a hand. All right, we're not too excited. Just like we're not too excited for the Super Bowl next week, are we? Either the 49ers tie us or the Ravens win. So it's just lose-lose all the way around for all of us here. Um, well, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to 2 Corinthians 5, that would be great. Or if you have a tablet or smartphone or, or iPhone or iPad, whatever, you can go to the Bible app. How many, are you, how many of you use that right now? Raise, raise your hand, okay? I just want to help relieve the guilt that you feel as you play, if you play with that and you, you feel like everyone around you thinks you're texting or, or you know, playing a game. So please, don't, please be relieved of that. So... Uh, Anyway, 2 Corinthians 5. Um, when, I, when I was thinking about Paul's life and ministry, which we're going to be talking about today, I, the idea of, this, of like a balance beam came into play because Paul's ministry was really difficult. And I can't think of anything harder to do than to do a balance beam, beam routine. I mean, how many hundreds and thousands of times do you fall off that balance beam when you're practicing? How many broken bones, sprained ankles... Um, bruises and all that to go in, trying to do these maneuvers it, with the hopes that if you just continue to endure and, and persevere through all that, that you'll be on this big stage with the whole world watching and you just might land it and have the hope of winning something. I mean, that is such an amazing thing to be a part of. And Paul's life is similar to that. The, the, the difficulty level of Paul's life in ministry is amazingly high. And, um, and so we can learn a lot from him. And in 2 Corinthians, more than any other book, we get to learn about that because he had to defend himself because he had some pretty strong adversaries and opponents and enemies in this church who thought that he suffered too much to be an apostle. They thought he was too weak to be an apostle. They thought he was a little bit crazy with all the things he was doing and sometimes saying. And so this letter is a little bit of a defense of himself. And so because of that, we get the, a glimpse into his life. And you see how dif difficult it, w it really was. And I, I want us to think about how, how did he find the motivation to continue on, to live a passionate life for the Lord. And if we can maybe learn something about his life, it might be impactful for us. What's interesting, too, is that Corinth was a lot like our culture here today. Um, sports was huge. Entertainment was huge. Um, the, the city of Corinth was destroyed in, um, in, I think, 146 B.C. by Rome. And then 100 or so years later, Julius Caesar rebuilt it, and there was this huge influx of people. There was 100,000 people or so at the time of, our, of, our, of the writing of, of 2 Corinthians. And, so, um, and it, was, it was all a lot of new people looking for wealth. Corinth was a place of... Of, it was com commercially, it was strategic and profitable, and so you could go there and make money. Like some, somewhat brings people to America, the hope of America that just because of your birth doesn't determine your social status, but you're, you can build a wealth, um, and there's hope to rise up um, to be a part of the upper class or the middle class. You don't have to, you don't have to stay at the bottom. So, so Corinth was a place of hope in that regard. And, uh, and unlike many other cities. And so what's interesting, though, is that a lot of the things that Paul writes to this church is he is combating the culture that they live in. And Corinth, like no other city that we read of in the Bible, is most like our culture. And so as we read 2 Corinthians and we think through it, even as you read it on your own, it should be a little bit of a wake-up call that we may be thinking and be a part of things that... Um, the way the ways and the in, of how a culture works that that Paul might if he were here today might speak and say that ought not be to be so for people that follow Christ and so it I think it'll be very helpful this morning to think about this so 
Um, in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, um, our main passage is in 2 Corinthians 5. If you want to turn back, I'm just going to read one verse. Paul says that he, he was so utterly burdened, or I'm sorry, he says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. We were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. And so Paul, Paul tells him, I don't want you to not, not be unaware of the fact that we have faced some severe persecution and sufferings and afflictions to the point that we were utterly burdened beyond our strength to where we despaired of life itself, where he felt we had received a death sentence. I want to read you some of the things that Paul mentions later in the book of 2 Corinthians. Some in, I think, um, all throughout the book. But um, I, I listed some of them. I just want to read you. What are these great afflictions that so overwhelmed Paul? He tells us. He was involved in many imprisonments, countless beatings, physical beatings. He was beat up, often near death. Five times he received 40 lashes, less one. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. He spent a night and a day at sea. Danger was experienced in rivers, by robbers, by all kinds of people, even God's people, the the Jewish nation. And other people around the world, he faced uh, danger from them. Danger in the city, in the wilderness. He spent many nights sleepless because of these circumstances. In hunger and thirst, often without food. And this one hits home this morning. Often was in the cold and exposed to the elements for periods of time. Now, what's I think most amazing about that is in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17... Paul describes all this. He takes all that suffering and all, all, the, uh, all, that, all the pain and heartache of his life and he, he, he puts it in a box and he labels it. And in 2 Corinthians 4.17, he calls it this. This is what's written on the box of his life. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So what I would like us to think about today is how in the world does Paul, after we just read through all the things that he has gone through, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, whipped, beaten with rods, wrongfully imprisoned, how does he call that light momentary affliction? How does he get beyond the fact of being utterly overburdened and despaired with life? to saying this is light momentary affliction. That's what I would like us to think about this morning. He says here in verse 17 of chapter 4 that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And the word he uses there for the weight, the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison is the same word that he uses to describe the the, the, the overwhelming burden in 2 Corinthians 1.8. The overwhelming burden that caused him to despair is the same exact word he uses to say that there's this overwhelming weight of glory that God has for us. That when he compares what all that God has in store for us, that all the trouble he has gone through is light momentary affliction. What, a, what a, an amazing Amazing contrast there. And so I would like us to think about how did, how did Paul get there? What were some of the motivators that he would go through such an incredibly difficult life and look at it and be like, it is easily worth everything I've ever done for Christ. It's just light momentary affliction in comparison to the glory of God and the weight that that has on my heart. And so... Um, in 2 Corinthians 5.11, I want us to look at some of, the, some of the things that he talks about. And so let's pick up there. It says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. 
so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We're going to stop there and pick up um, the rest a little bit later. Um, The first motivator that we see in Paul's life here, the first thing that is compelling him is that he knows the fear of the Lord. And that fearing God is 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 one of the foundational um, things Forces in Paul's life that's guiding him to this, inc- this incredibly difficult life that he says that he, he's patiently enduring and going to persevere through with hope. We read about his un, un, unbearable um, life that he's living, and then he goes on to say later in the first chapter, he says, but God did that so that we would realize that even if we were to die, that God raises the dead. And so we have hope. He says, our life... All these afflictions we're facing, we're, we're going to continue on because we know that there's, there's nothing to fear because even if, if we lose our lives for the gospel, even if we face the worst, we know that we have a God who raises the dead. And so everything's okay. We have hope. We will patiently endure. Oftentimes, it seems, and this is the case that Paul makes, is Paul never talks about um, miraculous deliverance but he talks about patient endurance. And don't we always want that? Don't we always want God to miraculously show up and just be like in the middle of the pain and whatever we're facing, we want healing. We want, we, we want that. And, and it's okay to pray for that. But what Paul says is that God is just as glorified and God can display his power just as clearly and magnificently if you and I, with his help, patiently endure wherever He calls us to go. Do you realize that? That God is just as glorified when we patiently endure and persevere with hope through whatever comes our way. His power is just as much displayed through you and me as we live that way. So Paul says. And so, the fear of God is one of the primary motivators. And if you jump back... And the reason we're going to jump back earlier into chapter 5 is the first word in, cha- in verse 11 is therefore. So anytime you see that in the Bible, you should, if you start there, you should read back earlier. Because what's, a, what's about to be said is referring to what was already said. Right? And so if we jump back, we see that the fear of God is a controlling motive of life. It's a wholesome fear of displeasing God. If you look at verse 9, he says, Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And so the essence of fearing God is, is, um, is about making our aim to please God. He says in verse 10, he continues, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So fearing God is about a desire to please God. It's a recognition that one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give account of my life. Every single one of us here. Now, the benefit of those who, are, who have Christ in their life is we don't have to give an account of our sin. We don't carry that weight anymore. That has been lifted by Christ. Thank God for that. But we will stand before God. And Paul says, it's my desire. The fear of God in me is that I want to please God. The idea is that when one day you stand and you visually for the very first time see Jesus Christ eye to eye, you see the scars, that you would see a smile on his face and see pleasure in his eyes of a, of a person who lived a life for him. And you hear, well done, good and faithful servant, not from my mouth, but from his. How cool is that? Paul says, that is one of the motivators of my life. He says, because what I am, who I am, he goes on to say, I'm known by God. The fear of God reminds us that we don't parade our lives in front of other people. It doesn't really matter 
what you think of me up here. My life is not to be paraded in front of you. It's to be paraded in front of Him. And He's the only one that matters. And oftentimes we forget that. And so when we're in places when no one else is there, or when, when, when there's opportunities to maybe, um, when we're, we're alone, and, or, or when we, sometimes we have a, we're all gripped by a fear of who's watching us. In some form or another, that is a fear that overwhelms us. And Paul says, no, I have a fear of God. I have this realization no matter where I'm at, who's watching? God's watching. I'm known by God. One day I will stand before him and I desperately desire to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's a desire to please Christ. And so I would like us to think about this because if you're like me, this, the idea of fearing God is something that's kind of foreign to me. It's not something I think about naturally. Um, we're going to talk about a second motivation, which is Christ's love. And I feel like that is something I've, I have regularly stressed in my life. And I stress to the students I teach. That live your life for the one who died for you. Let love, Christ's love compel you. But, but this here has really struck home with me this week. One of the reasons is I, I, got, to, I got to teach on this recently. And it was a, this was a huge wake-up call to me. I taught almost exclusively on Christ's love and didn't really once recognize the value of, of a life that fears God. And so I've, I have a strong conviction to talk about this because I missed it once. And I don't want to do that again. Um, and so this has been a real wake-up call for me as well. Um, and so uh, in, in verse 6 and 8, I want to draw you back again to where we were of chapter 5. I want you to see something here. Paul says in both of these passages, we have good courage. There's this amazing idea here that fearing God leads to courage. And it also is connected to, the, to what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives as Christians. If you look at verse 5, it says, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And so Paul makes a connection to fearing God and the Spirit of God and what the Holy Spirit is doing in the lives of believers. And so uh, in Acts 9.31 there's another, another connection here, and you see it on the screen. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord, and check this out, this is so cool, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Fearing God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit are connected. They're not, they're not, uh, they're not at odds with one another. But they work perfectly together. And so the first truth that I found so encouraging this week, and I want to share with you from God's Word, is fearing God leads to courage and comfort. If you think about it, where else? Think of all the fears. Kenny mentioned we're we're afraid of different things. Um, All the things we're afraid of and fearful of. It leads to to discouragement, it leads to being cowardly, it leads to being discomfort, a lack of confidence. But fearing God leads to courage and comfort. How good it is to fear God. And so what I want to do is just run through some scriptures with you. And um, I'm not sure what's on the screen or not. And I didn't give these references in the notes, so I apologize. So if you want to write these down, you can. But um, Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Psalms 111 verse 10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So all knowledge and wisdom are found. The beginning of them is in fearing God and understanding of who God is. Proverbs 1, or I'm sorry, Psalms 112 verse 1 says that a person is blessed who fears God. Psalms 34. This chapter has so much to say on this. Um, this has a famous verse that you're aware of, Psalms 34, 8, that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm, sh- I'm sure you've heard that. That's probably been encouraging to you. We use that a lot in church. But the next verse says, Fear the Lord, for those who fear him have no lack. It says, Those who look to, look to God are radiant. 
and they shall never be ashamed. Those who cry out to God, he answers. And check this out. He delivers them from all their fears. The coolest irony connection to all this is that people that fear God, God then drives away the fears of life that surround them, that are, that are involved in their life, the things that they're afraid of. That when we fear God, it takes every... Because fearing God is about understanding who God is. And so once we begin to think about that more, it takes everything else in life, just like Paul made it light momentary affliction. And so we don't fear things anymore. Like Jesus said, don't, don't fear man, but fear God. And so the, the beautiful thing to this is that in fearing God and wanting to please God and realizing I want to parade myself in front of God and I really don't care what everyone else thinks is other fears are driven away. And that's why there's courage, comfort, and confidence in the person that fears God. That's why, you know, all these wonderful things are said about the person who fears God. In Philippians 2, 12 through 13 um, we're told that we are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. And um, the very next verse says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, when I read that verse um, this week, it says, for, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I was picturing myself walking on a balance beam. And that would be me. Fear and trembling. I'd be scared to death. If I had to do any twists, turns, flips, or anything, you know, I would like to just kind of cradle the thing, just like hold it, and, uh, you know, and go across. Now, it's not that high. I mean, you could jump down, but, it, you know, uh, but that, that, that would be me. And so oftentimes, that's, that's us in the Christian life, trying to do it on our own. But the next, we, and it's because we don't think about the next verse. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. So, you might take that to say, okay, I need to work out like to be like Paul. I need to try harder, study harder, do whatever better. But the next verse says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The next verse says, for it's God who's working in you. How cool of a connection is that? Ephesians 6.10 says, be strong in the Lord. Okay, i got to be strong in the Lord. i got to figure this out. I have to, if I'm going to be like Paul, if I'm going to be a missionary, if I'm going to serve somewhere in the church, and we look within ourselves, okay, where am I going to find this strength? How am I going to work this out? I could never do that ministry. I could never be that. But the verse says, be strong in the Lord. And the next part says, and in the power of His strength, in the power of His might. We're not called to be strong on our own, but we're called to be strong in the Lord. That's pretty exciting. Paul says, I'm just a jar of clay, which in this time was a sign of weakness and frailty. All over the ancient world there, jars of clay was, was, was a metaphor for, for weakness and frailty. And Paul says, I am just, I'm here, I'm, just, I'm a missionary, I'm an apostle, but me, myself, I'm just a jar of clay. I'm broken, I'm, I'm, I've messed up. But he goes on to say this, but I have this treasure that lives in me, and it's the Spirit of God. And he has revealed the glory of God that is found in the face of Jesus Christ. All that you and I are here who are followers of Christ are jars of clay, weak and frail. But we have a treasure, this incredible treasure that is the Spirit of God living inside of us, who reveals the glory of God that is found in the face of Jesus Christ. How cool, how amazing to think about. And so, we learn that salvation is God's work. The Christian life is God's work. It's God working on behalf of His people. Salvation is about God fighting on behalf of His people. We see that most clearly in the Old Testament at the, at the Exodus when God leads the people out of Egypt and he, he parts the Red Sea and then he destroys the Egyptian army, right? He leads them out of slavery and bondage and oppression and he tells them, just sit there and watch and I will deliver you. I'm about to fight for you. I have heard your cries and I am here. I am, I am going to show up and Egypt will never be the same. 
And you'll never be the same. I'm going to lead you to the promised land. Just sit and watch me fight on your behalf. And after he parts the Red Sea, Exodus 14, 31 says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. And so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord. The fear of God also leads in us trusting in God. You see, the Bible says in Romans that people that don't know Christ, the, 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 what the Bible might call the wicked, the people who, who are separated from God, they don't understand the fear of God. The fear of God is actually a gift, a gracious gift by God given to believers so that we can persevere through whatever life comes, whatever comes into life, whatever struggles, whatever obstacles that we face that we'll be able to persevere. And so, I would uh, like to draw your attention now to, to verse 14. And I would like to just talk for a few minutes about another primary motivator in Paul's life. And this is the love of Christ. Verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The second motivation in Paul's life to persevere through all that came his way was the love of Christ. It wasn't Paul's love for Christ. Really important thing to remember. But it was Christ's love for Paul and for all of us that motivated Paul to go and live his life. This word here for controls or compels or constrains, however you might translate it in your Bible, your Bible might translate it, means to be held together. That Christ's love is, what is holding Paul together and holding him to, to stay on course for ministry. So when all those, all those afflictions and pains and sufferings are tearing at his life, it is Christ's love who holds him together. And, and, and has overwhelmed him to continue in ministry. More than, more than all the afflictions, more than all the beatings and, and everything that he's faced for the gospel, the love of Christ is what holds him together and what dominates his thoughts and his mind and his life. That word means to be dominated by, to be controlled by, to be overwhelmed. It means to be taken with disease. To be taken over by a disease. And we've had like a lot of sickness in our house, the flu and... I'm sure I've, a lot of people I've talked to are like, yeah, it's in our house. And we're all like comparing temperatures of kids. And, and you know, mine's 103. Well, mine was 104. And, you know, it's just how many of you, how many of you have, have been hit by the flu? Just a couple of us. Wow, you guys are pretty, man, that's, all, that's great. Don't, don't, don't stay away from us. I mean, I, <laughs> I feel bad. <laughs> Dan and Christy, my, my uh, brother-in-law and sister, we got, their kids got it from our kids and Felt terrible. Their fevers were worse than our fevers. But just the, how that overwhelms and just takes over our body. Paul says that, that same exact word is used here to say that Christ's love compels us and overwhelms us to live this life. And so the love of Christ compels us to live for Christ and not for ourselves. The love of Christ gives us confidence that we can stand before God. In 1 John 4, he talks about how the love of Christ drives away any fear that we would have in judgment before God. So we will stand before God as followers of Christ, but, we, but, but the, the uh, love of Christ reminds us that we have nothing to fear, that Jesus has paid the price for our sins. And so the love that Christ has for us gives us confidence that we can stand before God, that we can come before God in prayer, in confidence that God cares about us, it gives us the ability to have the Spirit of God live inside of us. And so, the love of Christ gives us confidence to stand before God. And so, as we kind of wrap up here, um, I would just want to draw your attention to um, some of the verses near the end of this chapter. Verse 18 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. If we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that 
in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so Paul is enduring with patience and perseverance whatever life brings his way for this message. This, was, this brought significance to any suffering and pain that he ever faced. It was this. We have this message of reconciliation to share with the world, and that is this. Be reconciled to God, and your sins will not be counted against you. That's the message we are entrusted with. Paul actually says here that it is, as, it is the same as if God was making his appeal through us to the world. Be reconciled to God through Christ and your sins will not be counted against you. You and I, just broken jars of clay, God has given us treasure of the Holy Spirit and the glory of God in the face of Jesus so we can go out to the world and say, man, I'm just a jar of clay, but I hold this treasure and it was found in Jesus Christ. And if you would just be reconciled to God, all of your sins will not be counted against you. And you can stand in confidence before God. Paul says that's worth giving your entire life to. That's worth facing any obstacle. That's worth enduring any pain or suffering or anything that would come your way. It's worth giving up whatever you have to. And the amazing thing about the Christian life is the Christian life is never a sacrifice. No matter how much you suffer for the gospel, no matter how much, wherever you might go for the gospel, whatever you might lose for, for your, you might lose in this world. And this is why it's never a sacrifice. Because when you, whatever you give up for Christ, you always gain more by serving God. So you never lose. It's never a sacrifice. Because what we, what we have, Christ says, whoever loses father, brother, sisters, whoever might have to lose house or home to go, will not receive more than a hundred times that. You can't outgive God. And so we have this hope that, that we should be fearless in our Christian life. And we should be compelled by Christ's love to go and share that message. It's a wonderful message because the message is to our friends and our family, to anyone here today who doesn't know Christ, that no matter how much sin there is in your life, you, you, you may have wrecked your life. You may be wrecking your life, wrecking your family. You could have hurt yourself and others. You could be sinning your entire life. And, and separated from God. And no matter how far sin takes you from God, the beauty in our message is that God is not far from you. That if you would just turn and be reconciled to God, your sins will not be counted against you. That's our message to the world. Is uh, You may be far from God, and you are. Your sin has separated you from God to, to an incredible degree. But because of Christ, God is not far from you. And any of you here today that don't know Jesus, that's the message that we have to share with you from God's Word, is that you are far from God, but God is not far from you. If you would just be reconciled to God through Christ, your sins would not be counted against you. Because God made Him who knew no sin to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. That is the message we are called to share and if you want to go to the ends of your street or to the city or to the world, the only force and power that will get you there and sustain you and endure you with patience and perseverance is a fear of God and the love of Christ. And you have every reason to be fearless and to be confident and have comfort and courage that no matter what comes your way, you have a God with you who raises the dead and takes them to a home in heaven, and so there's nothing to fear. And so maybe you are wanting to go on a mission trip. Maybe you want to go serve somewhere in the church. Man, do it. Do it. All the fears that so often grip your heart. Allow the fear of God to drive those away and let the love that Christ has for you compel you to go. There's nothing to fear. I feel like saying nothing to fear but fear itself. It was that famous line. <laughs> I almost said it by accident. I guess I just did. But uh, <laughs> there's nothing to fear. 
Don't we want to teach our kids that? I want you students to know that. You know, Casey, when you go to school, man, you can win Bethel Park for Jesus Christ. There's nothing to fear. There is absolutely nothing to fear. College students, we're so afraid for our college students when they go to these campuses. You guys have the glory of God, the treasure of all of heaven within you. There is nothing to fear. And so, I encourage you with that. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for the privilege of being back at the church that is my home where I grew up. I thank you for how you've been with uh, Shannon and I wherever we have ever gone for you, whether it's across the world or across the state, that there's nothing to fear. You're always with us. God, we, and I, I confess this this morning, there are so many fears that grip our hearts and keep us from serving you. And God, based on what we see in Scripture, it's because we do not fear you. We, do not, we are not concerned with pleasing you in a way that we should. And so for all of us, and myself included mostly, God, for the fears in our life, we confess that we don't fear you like we should. We don't aim to please you. We please ourselves. We please others. We, but we don't aim to do that. We parade our lives in front of others. We care what people think about our car, our house, our whatever, our job, what we look like, what we wear. And uh, God, we don't have a fear for you. And I... We just start this morning by confessing, and I'm first in line for that. God, I want to be gripped with fear for you. And I'm sure there's a lot of people sitting here today who echo the same quietly in prayer. God, hear our prayers. Give us courage and comfort and confidence to live for you. Thank you for the love you have for us that we see in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us, please, as we sing our closing song, asking God to draw us close to him.